We're going to be back in Ephesians. You know, we're preaching through Ephesians. And um, today we're going to discuss the power of God that has been directed your way. And this is Paul's last prayer request in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul will begin praying again in Ephesians chapter 3. But in chapter 1, this is his last prayer petition for the Ephesian saints. Remember he was praying that they would know the hope of his calling, uh, God's inheritance in the saints, and now his last petition is that, they, that, is that they would know the power that has been directed towards him. So this is Paul's last prayer petition. Again, it's about the power of God, and he's praying that these Ephesians would know it, the power of God, and become more aware of it in their lives, the power of God. So that is what we'll be looking at today. And it is my hope, my ultimate objective in teaching this, or at the end of this discussion, is that the, the wheels of your mind will begin to turn as you think about God's power in your life now and in the past. And I hope that as you begin to marvel at the power of God directed towards you, um, it will bring you on your face in worship, that it will grow your love for God, and that you will feel overwhelmed by God's grace, love, and mercy upon you. So that's, that's ultimately what I hope to have uh, accomplished at the end of this, that you begin to think about the power of God in your life right now and um, in the past and that that brings you ultimately to worship of the Lord. That that brings you to worship God for his power. And so just a little roadmap for you where we're going today. Um, we'll be looking at the power of God directed your way in producing saving faith or belief. Um, in regeneration and sanctification. And in the power of God to reserve you until the day of Christ. So those are our three main topics that we'll be really looking at today. So our text, we'll read it, Ephesians chapter 1. We left off in verse 18 uh, from the previous two weeks when I was here. And so today we'll read verse 19. But I want to start, we'll read 19 through 23, matter, matter of fact. But I want to start in uh, the beginning of his prayer. Um, verse, five, verse 15. So we'll look at 15 and we'll come down to 23. And then we'll dig more into it. So the word of God reads, this is Paul. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and 19 are key, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us, who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. So let us just pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this moment, Lord. We thank you for this word that we read, God. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to each person individually, God. You know what's happening in each person's life, Lord God. So I pray that you, Lord, by your power to apply this word to meet whatever need, whatever problem that's going on in their life, God. May people hear, God. May your saints, may your children be uh Encourage, Lord, to walk and follow you, Lord, as they see your word, God. Feed us by your scripture, Lord, God. Set our souls on fire, God, as we behold you in your word, Lord. Teach our minds to see the great power that has been directed towards us now and forevermore, Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read this letter in Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesians, we see that he wants the Ephesians to know the power that has been directed to them. And since this power has been directed to believers, because Paul says in this letter, he says that this power is directed towards us who believe. We know that this power is a, is a good power that he's saying that has been directed towards us. And some of you would say, well, that goes without saying, of course, it's a good power that's been directed towards us. That's not always the case, because if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the children of Israel and the Egyptians, you see that there was a party that was on the bad side of God's power. And there was a party that was on the good side of God's power when he parted that Red Sea, right? It was the power of God to go and part that Red Sea. And the ones who were beneficiaries of God's power to be on the good side of that power, if you will, was Israel, right? Because they got to walk through on dry land. They walked through the sea. But the Egyptians, they were on the other side, right, of God's power. It wasn't so good for them because some of them got destroyed by that Red Sea. They got destroyed by the power of God. So it's good to be on the right side of God's power. And here's another thing that we also must know or stay attuned to is that when it comes to being on the good side of God's power, there's a power that's coming on the day of judgment, and you really want to make sure you're on the good side of that power, right? Because the same power that is going to judge the unbeliever and send them to eternal damnation will also be the same power that will restore our bodies into glorified bodies. So there's a good side of God's power, and there's another side of God's power that you don't want to be on. Which is why Paul writes in Philippians 3.20-21 this, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So the same power that God is going to use to subject all things to himself, the same power that he will use to bring people to their eternal destruction, damnation, that same power will also be used to bring us into our glorified bodies. So again, you want to be on the right side of God's power. But here's the question we should be asking when we read this text in Ephesians. Why is Paul praying this? Why is he praying for these Ephesians to know the power directed towards them, right? 
I believe that the answer, it, it lies in verses 3 and 17 of chapter 1. Because in that, he, he says, he starts off in 3 by saying, blessed be God. So he wants the Ephesians to know that God is blessed. And, and it's in verse 17, he, he's praying that the Ephesians would know God more. So the reason that he's praying that they would know this power is because ultimately, Paul wants God glorified. And he realizes that God is glorified when the Ephesians see the great power that is directed towards them. So he, he wants them to see this power so that they will see how glorious God is and how blessed God is. So that, that's one of the reasons here that Paul is bringing this prayer up. He wants God glorified. He wants them aware of God's goodness that has been directed towards them so that they will worship God and see that he is truly blessed in how he starts his letter in verse 3. But the other reason that, that Paul is, 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 is writing to these Ephesians to, to know or he's praying that they would know the power of God is because Paul has tasted the power of God in his life. He knows that it is a good thing and because he loves his church, he, he wants him to have this good thing and he wants them to be more aware of this good thing, the, being the power of God working in their life. It's kind of like when, when David says in Psalms 34:8 that, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David is not talking about something that he himself has not tried. He's not talking about something that he has only heard, but he is writing about something or someone that he has tasted, that being the Lord, and he knows that God is good. And so he is inviting all to come and taste of the Lord because he is good and he has tried them. And in the same way, we find that here with Paul. When Paul is praying that the, these Ephesians would, would know the hope of his calling or that they would know the inheritance that God has for the saints or that they would know the power directed towards him, he is not praying about something that he has just heard. He's praying about something that he ex has experienced, that he knows very well, something that fuels his life. When you look at, for example, the Apostle Paul, when we read verses like 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 8, where Paul begins to talk about all of the hardships that he has encountered, we, we marvel sometimes, right? When he talks about the beatings and the stonings and, and all the things that he has gone through, we begin to marvel and we begin to wonder, how did he make it through? How did he have the strength to keep going after being stoned, after being thrown in prison, after being in danger so many times? How did Paul make it through? What, what was his strength? I believe that his strength has something to do with the things that he's praying here for the Ephesians. Um, when he prays again for the Ephesians to know the hope of his calling, that calling or that hope is mainly Jesus. And that was the hope that Paul knew very well. It, it was the risen Lord that came and spoke to him on Damascus Road. It was the risen Lord that gave him a revelation of the gospel in Galatians 1.12. See, nobody taught Paul the gospel. He says in Galatians 1-12, nobody taught it to him. He says that it was a by revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God was Paul's seminary instructor, teaching him the gospel. See, that was the risen Lord. It was the risen Lord who encouraged Paul in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, when he's feeling down. It was, it was the risen Lord who came and encouraged Paul to, to keep on keeping on. See, Jesus, the Lord, was his hope. And Paul's hope was that he would be with him forever. And so he, he is praying that the Ephesians would begin to know this hope. We find verses like Ephesians 3.8 where Paul talks about how he counts all things as lost 
in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And then he says how all things, he, count, he counts them as rubble or as dung. And he, and he says all he wants to do is gain Christ. See, Jesus was Paul's ultimate hope. Jesus was the thing that Paul wanted. Paul wanted to be a part of the resurrection. He wanted to be with his Lord forevermore. So that was his hope. And now he is praying that these Ephesians also would have this same hope or would know this hope. So that's why he's praying that they would get a better understanding of it because this is something that Paul knows very well, the hope of his calling. The next request that he prays for the Ephesians, that they would know the inheritance uh, of the, that, that, that God has in his saints, meaning the, the kingdom of God, which has a lot of o- overlap with the previous petition, the hope of his calling. But Paul's prayer for the Ephesians with this petition is that their minds would just grab a hold of the treasure of the kingdom of God that they have set up for them. He wanted these, these Ephesians to really get their mind around this kingdom of God because he, he knew it was something that was really, really glorious. And how do we know that? We, we go to verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Do you remember when Paul got that, that glorious vision of the third heaven? Do you remember when he speaks about that? That that vision was so glorious that Paul had to be given a thorn in his side to humble him because of the glory of that vision? Well, guess what? In the new heavens and the new earth, that's what that vision will eventually become a reality. That is a vision that we will all experience and know. See, Paul, again, he's not talking about something he doesn't know. He's not praying for the Ephesians to know the hope of his calling and the inheritance because he just heard about it. But it is something he has tried and knows that is good and he wants him to grab it. It's kind of like me saying this to my brother. Um, hey, brothers. Uh, I, go try the steak over there at this restaurant. Have you tried it? No, but you should go and try it. You would be like, how are you telling me to go try this? And you're encouraging me to go do this when you haven't even tried it yourself. See, Paul has tried this himself. He's seen the glory of the new heavens and new earth. And so that's why he's praying for these believers. I want you to have this believers. I want you to get your mind around it. I want you to, to see it. So he, he's praying that they would go and grab it. And lastly, in this petition, he, he prays that they would know the power directed towards him. That's our main text. He's praying that they would know the power directed towards them. And what is the point I, I really want to bring out here that I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around? Paul was, when you read Paul's letter in the New Testament, you're going to find a man that credits himself with nothing. You're going to find a man who credits everything to God's power and his mercy directed towards him. Even his place or call in a ministry. Paul credits nothing to himself. He points all to the power of God as the reason where he is where he is. So, for example, in Colossians 1.29, Paul states this. To this end, I labor striving with all of his energy, working powerfully within me. So it was, it was God's power, it was God's divine energy coming upon Paul to, to make him fit, if you will, for the ministry. Let me show you another example of that. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. 
I want to show you how Paul credits God's power upon him, even placing him in the ministry. Look what the apostle says here. He says that by revelation, uh, matter of fact, I'm going to just start in three and kind of come down because the beginning of one, because we're coming, coming in the middle. So this is Ephesians 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to come down to 7 so you can see the point in context. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Verse 6, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Seven, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his what? Power. According to the working of his power. So Paul sees that God's power given to him as a gift of grace is the reason that he is now fit or called to this ministry. So even where he is as an apostle, he is crediting the power of God upon him, putting him in that place. So you, you see a man who credits God's power for everything. He credits God's grace for everything. He does not look to himself, even with this call into ministry. And so I think about, for example, my brother here, Pastor Bryant. God, by his power, has gone and taken out his sinful heart like we all have. And by his power, he has replaced it with a shepherd's heart to care for his people. See, that is the power of God. The power of God has come upon him and given him a mind and thirst for the scriptures so that he will teach God's people what thus says the Lord. See, that is the power of God coming upon him and placing him in the ministry. And it is not just Pastor Brian, but every believer, every believer, you have been kissed by divine power, divine energy. And so that's why Paul is praying. He's saying, Ephesians, Christians, I want you to get this. I want you to know the power that has been directed your way. See, you've all been kissed by divine power. You, you've all been had the touch of God's power and influence upon your life. And so here in Ephesians, he's just praying that I want you to get it. I want you to become more aware of it. Just like he says, I want you to become more aware of the hope of his calling and God's glorious inheritance in the saints. He's now here praying that you will become more aware of God's power and influence in your life. Now here's the thing about this text here. The word in verse 19, when he says, what is the surpassing greatness? That word surpassing in the Greek is written in the present tense. And not only is that, that word surpassing written in the present tense, but also the word believe is written in the present tense. So another way of reading this text would be this. Another way of reading verse 19 in this text would be, Ephesians believer, I pray that you would know the greatness of the power that is presently and ongoingly being directed towards you who are believing. That's, that's how that would read if you're looking at it in the Greek. The power that is presently right now, ongoingly, it's in the present, so it's something that's constantly happening to you who are believing. 
Not just initial saving faith, just believing, but right now you are believing. He said, I want you to know the power that has been directed towards you. Which brings us to the first work of the power of God in your life. If you're like Brother Jerome, I, I, I don't see it, I don't get it, I don't feel the, God, the power of God working towards me. Well, here it is. It is enabled belief. <laughs> enabled belief the fact that you are believing in Jesus who he is what he has done is a work of the power of God upon you it's the power of God that has come upon you to open your eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that's the initial work of the power of God on you if you are believing Jesus if you're believing who he is truly that is a work of the power of God in your life and you can praise him for that that you know the risen Lord that you know the risen King that is the power of God and that is enough for you to praise him that's what Paul is trying to get you to do but I want to give you an example of that I want to show you in the text so you don't think I'm just saying this um, 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 6. I want to show you what Paul says there. Oh, well, I'm wrong way. I'm tripping. We're here. We're going to look at the power of God just in belief. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, look what he says here. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, just a little point here, when he says light shall shine out of darkness, Paul is pointing to Genesis 1-3 when God created the earth, when God created the universe. So he's talking about God's power there. So he says, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. So again, when you look at 6, when he says that light shall shine out of darkness, he's pointing to the power in the beginning of creation. When God said, let there be light, that's the power he's talking about. When God brought light into a dark universe. Now you notice what he's doing. He's comparing the same power that God used to bring light into the universe to when God brought the light of Jesus Christ in your heart so you can see the glory of God. So though that's what he's doing here. He, he is putting Jesus, he's showing you how seeing Jesus is equivalent with God saying in the beginning, let there be light. Like the same power is working there. That is why a few weeks ago I said when some people read the scriptures and they see Jesus, they just see a Jewish guy who did a bunch of good things but you because the power of God has come upon you and open your eyes you see a Messiah you see a Savior you see love you see God's mercy you see God's grace why because the power of God has come upon you and open your eyes to see it but isn't this something that the same power that was used in creation to bring light out of darkness it's the same power that has created in you a new heart and that's awakened your dead soul to believe in Christ you're getting the same grade of power that the universe gets 
When I read this text, I'm wondering why would the Holy Spirit enable Paul to write this way? Why would the Holy Spirit put the power of God to show Christ in our heart in the same category of God creating life in the universe? Because to me, it just seems like it would be a lesser grade, right? I mean, I'm thinking Saturn, Venus, the constellations, definitely the power of God. But you and I, it's like, hmm. I mean, I mean, it's just like, it just seems like it, it would be another grade, if you will. It's kind of like when, when you go to the gas station or when I go to the gas station, right? You have those different options of gasoline, right? You got the 87, the cheap stuff, which is what I get. And, and, and then you get that superior grade, right? The stuff that costs like 50, 75 cents more, right? That, that superior grade. It would seem that the universe would get that superior grade, but no, the same power that created the lights of the Big Dipper, the, the same power that created the northern lights, is the same power that shines the light of Jesus in our hearts. So just like the light was the beginning of God's creation, when God shines his light on our heart to see Jesus, guess what? That is the beginning of our creation. That's when your life begins. That's why it's, it's the same power. The same power that is working in creation is also the same power that opened our eyes to see the glory of Jesus. So I believe when Paul is pointing here, about the universe, he's, he's pointing this out so that we would marvel at the great power that has been directed towards us. So you see how blessed God is and how glorious God is. This is why he's pointing this out. So you can see, whoa, the same power that God created all of this is also the power that he used to transform me. And it's the power that is constantly being directed towards me. That should leave you marveling at God like, whoa, God, really? Your love and affection is that much for me that that same power, you're spending that on me, this little creature made from the dust who always tries to go and do his own thing. You are using that same power upon me. It, it should make you marvel. The other reason I believe that Paul or the Holy Spirit has Paul writing this is so that we could see the power of sin and the miraculous work of power that it takes to regenerate a dead soul. The universe, you being born again, they both take the might and power of God. So as I look around this room, guess what? I am seeing the power of God. I'm seeing the work of God. As I look at born again believers, you must see you're seeing the work and power of God. As you look at your, your wife and your husband who's a born again believer, you're seeing a new creation there. That is a work of the power of God. See, I, I, I like to watch nature documentaries, right? Like Pastor Brian does. I like to watch it because you, you see all of these creatures that you've never heard of, animals with crazy powers and abilities. And, and, and I like watching it because when I see all of these beautiful creatures, it, it just makes me marvel at God and who he is. When you see like the giraffe and that long neck and you, you see different animals and you see the power of a lion, it, it just makes me marvel at God. I just stand back and be like, Whoa, that's amazing. But just like I marvel at nature and the animals, I should be marveling at you when I see you. We should marvel when 
the power of God turns a self-absorbed sinner into a believing worshiper. That is a demonstration of his power. Or when he turns the neo-Nazi into a lover of his Jewish neighbor, that is a demonstration of his power. Or when he turns the, the anger-filled game-banger into a lover of his enemy, that is a demonstration of his power. When he turns the homosexual into a lover of God's plan for marriage, that is a demonstration of his power. Or when he turns the abortion clinic director into an advocate for life that is a demonstration of his power or when he turns the addict from an addict to drugs to a drug counselor that is a demonstration of his power or when he turns a person like Paul who was a persecutor of Christ in the church to a lover of Christ in the church that is a demonstration of his power the same power that was working in them it's the same power that is working in us see this is mind-blowing this should make you marvel the same power that God is doing all of that. It's working in us. Let me remind you of Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. Let me, let me get there. Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think how does he do it? According to the power that works, what? Within us. So the same power that God uses to do more than we can ask or think, he said, he does it by the power that is working within us. So the same power that God uses to answer your prayer, the same power that God uses to address that problem that you have, that same situation, that same power, Paul says that power is working within you. He's trying to get you to marvel to see, like, whoa, really, God? The same power that you're using to subdue these things are now working in me? I have the attention of that power, and that power is working for my good? This should leave you marveling at God, like, whoa. That's, that's just amazing. I want to give you some more of that. Go to Ephesians 1, our main text. Verse 19 to 23, I'm going to give you some more of that same power so you can marvel at God, bring you to your face in worship. Marie 19 to 23, he says, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now that word believe in my version of the Bible, the NASB, he has a period there. But if you look at the next words, these are, those are like italicized because it probably, it should be there. It's not in the Greek. So it's more like, a comma should be there as he's continuing the thought. So he's, he's saying, now what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, how? When he raised him up from the dead, when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if I'm reading this right, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that seated him at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority, the same power that God uses to subject all things under Christ, that same power that made Christ the head over all things to the church, it's the same power that Paul has said is being directed towards you. That is 
That is amen. That is hallelujah. See, the reason that Paul in verse 22, 23 is pointing to Christ is not so much to teach us about Christ's resurrection and exalted position, but he's, he's pointing to the power that put him there. Do you realize that? In verse 19 to 23, it's about the power. So he's pointing to the power that put, that resurrected Christ, to the power that seated him at the right hand of the Father above all rule, to the power that makes him the head over all things to the church. See, Paul is pointing to this power to show you that the same power that is working in Christ is the same power that has been directed towards you. And so his prayer is that, church, I want you to get it. He's like, I want you to see this power that has been directed your way. So he's praying because that there needs to be a revelation of God to show you so you can see it so you can see the power of God working in your life that's constantly abiding on you he wants you to see it so believers I want to encourage you right here to just just step back and look at your life to see the power of God directed your way not just with your initial saving faith which is the power of God that even causes that but with your changed life See, when the power of God comes upon a person, it changes a whole person. May I remind you of your old self and how the Bible describes you? Romans 3, 11 through 18. Here, because sometimes we get amnesia and we forget that we weren't always holy and saved. And, and we need to be reminded that you weren't always this holy. You weren't always reading your Bible. You weren't always fasting and praying. You weren't always trying to have covenant eyes. You were just like everybody else in the world. So sometimes we forget that as Christians. But that's not the case, right? So I, I want to remind you of your old sinful nature. In, in Romans 3.11, we find God indicting the whole world because of their sinful nature, really. It's just who they are. And so I, I just want to read some of this to remind you of, of who you used to be, who, what you used to be controlled by. So Romans, started in verse 11, but I'll start in 10. He says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, there's none righteous, not even one. We know that's only Christ, but we get righteousness through Christ. And then he says, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. But guess what, believer? Now you have true understanding. Now you do seek for God. How did that happen? The power of God upon you. The power of God upon your, your life. He goes and says that all have turned aside and therefore they have become useless. You are no longer useless. Now you are God's workmanship created for good works. How does that happen? By the power of God. He said there is none who does good. There is not even one. But now by the power of God you are doing good according to God's standard of good. And you are doing all things for his glory's sake. That is again the, the power of God. Then in 13 he says their throats is an open grave and with their tongues they keep deceiving the poison of Alps is under their lips but now you born again believer by the power of God guess what comes out of your lips healing comes out of your lips encouragement comes out of your lips guess what the word of God comes out of your lips how because the power of God has come upon you remember this is your old nature this is who you used to be but now that the power of God has come upon you these things don't apply to you why because the power of God has changed your tongue he has changed the words that have come out of your mouth that is the power of God so what else does he say in, in 15? He says, their feet are swift to shed blood. 
Now your feet are, your feet are swift to go meet a need. Your, your feet are swift as my brother to go and feed the homeless. Your feet are swift to open up your bank account and go and help your brother or sisters or people in and outside of the church. See, that does not just happen naturally. That does not just happen by osmosis. That is the power of God upon your life that has brought about change in you. And then in 16, he says, destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. But I want to remind you what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Not only do you know the path of peace, which follows right behind Jesus, but by the power of God, you have become a peacemaker. See, that is the work of God. This is your old nature. By the power of God upon you, you are now a peacemaker. We make peace, not because of who we are, not because we are great, but because the power of God has come upon us. See, that was our old nature. But now you are new creatures by the power of God. Think about... um. 1 Corinthians 6, let me just read one more text to you. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he's writing to the, uh, the Corinthians, and he, he's telling them who will not enter the kingdom of God. And he goes and he lists all of these different things. And, and this is what Paul says here in this text, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor homosexuals nor thieves nor the covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and here goes my favorite part of this text don't you just love verse 11 look what he says here look at the glory of God he says and such were some of you such of some of you were these adulterers such of some of you were these homosexuals such of some of you were idolaters but what he says here he says but you have been washed that's cleansing power to be able to wash drunkenness off of a person to be able to wash homosexuality off of a person that is the cleansing power of God upon your life that should make you marvel that's the glory of God. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. That's cleansing power. We can all speak to some of these things. Then the power of God came upon us. The revilers out there partying and hitting up the clubs and the bars. I, I knew that life very well. But then the power of God came upon me and began to cleanse my conscience and to remove that away. See, that is the power of God directed towards you, my brothers and sisters. The same power that has been directed towards you right now is, guess what? It's also the same power that cleanses you. And it's the same power, guess what, brothers and sisters, that will keep you and reserve you until the day of Christ. Turn with me to, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. The same power that has gave you your initial saving belief the same power that has sanctified you and cleansed you from those ways is the same power directed towards you that will reserve you and keep you into the day of Christ. So I'm going to read you First Peter. Oh, I'm in Second Peter. I like that red, red, different. 
I'm starting verse 3 and I'm going to come down to 5. Look what Peter says here. He starts off like Paul does in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he wants to show you that God is blessed. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us, that's a whole other topic right here, he says, has caused us to be born again. You wonder why you're born again? It was a causing work of God, not you. But anyways, another subject. Um, he says, who caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For what? To obtain an inheritance, inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Guess what? Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You who are protected by what? The power of God. If you have a King James Version, it will say you are kept by the power of God. If you have the NASV, it says that you are guarded by the power of God. See, it is God keeping you. The only way that you're going to make it strong to the end of your faith is through and by the power of God. You need it and you cannot live without it. It's the power of God. The power of God that keeps you. And do you know one of the ways that the power of God keeps you? He keeps you by strengthening your inner man or soul so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me give you the text for this. Ephesians chapter 3. Back to Ephesians. And this will be the last text I'll take you to, I promise. Unless the Holy Spirit says something different, then y'all blame him. So I want to show you this, Ephesians. Which verse we want to start at? Verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. This is where Paul is again. Remember I said, in chapter 1, he stops praying. And that he's going to pick back up in chapter 3. This is Paul again. going to pray again for these Ephesians. He's letting them know some of the things that he's going to the Father on their behalf for. So you see, we should, if, if anything we can learn, that Paul is constantly praying for the church. He's constantly praying for brothers and sisters. So I hope that that's also the same thing in your mouth. That you're constantly praying for your brothers and sisters. Because that's what Paul is doing. He keeps letting the Ephesians know, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God does this in you. So here we're going to see again. Paul is letting the church know that he is praying for them. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees in humility. Who? Before who? Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What is Paul praying? What is he bowing his knees and going to the Father for? He says this, that he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened what? With power through his spirit in the inner man. Why does he want you to be strengthened with power in the inner man? What is the ultimate objective? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. He, he's trying to strengthen the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Why? Because our inner man grows weak. Our inner person gets tired. Do not think it's strange that some days you feel super spiritual. You're ready to knock down a brick wall in the name of Jesus. And other days you get thumped over by just the, the wind blowing. I mean, there, there's times when we feel strong. We're, we're spiritually alive. We're ready to go. And there's other times where well, we just get so down. Why? 
Because as John Piper says, I think we leak spiritually. Yeah. We have like, we leak, right? And we need to be built back up. We need to be strengthened. We need to be renewed. Even if you are a mighty Christian warrior like Hudson Taylor or Amy Carmichael or, or George Mueller or Charles Spurgeon or the Apostle Paul, we all get spiritually down sometimes and we need to be strengthened, especially in those moments when life hits you hard. You're going through life circumstances and trials. Your inner man gets beat and we need that power of God to go forward and renew us and strengthen us so that Christ may have his home dwelling in our hearts there by faith. So we need the power of God just to keep us. I'm saying you, you need the power of God upon you. See, the only reason right now that you are still following Christ after all that you have gone through is because of the power of God that has been directed your way. You're still believing after the loss of a loved one. You're still believing after sickness and disease has hit your body. You're still believing after the accident. You're still believing after you lost your home. You're still believing after you lost your job. You're still believing when there's unexplained tragedies in the world that make people in the world say, where was God? You, you are still believing even why? Because the power of God that has been directed your way and that is keeping you. Yes, there have been moments when you just felt like throwing in a towel. You felt like you were done. I'm done with this Christian thing. But there was something about the name of Jesus. It was something about Christ. It was something inside of you that you just could not let go. That was the power of God keeping you and holding you and reserving you until the day of Christ. These are the things that Paul is praying that the Ephesians will become more aware of. He's praying that you become more aware of the power of God that has been directed your way. Again, in belief and sanctification, change, and in the reserving power of God to keep you until your Lord and Savior returns. Believers, this should be your prayer request for me. This should be your prayer request for your brethren, that they would know all of these things, that they would know the hope of his calling, that they would know the riches of God's inheritance, that they would know the power of God that has been directed their way. That prayer should be on your lips when you bow your knees or go in your prayer closet. Let us, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are wonderful. You're mighty, God. We thank you for your mighty power that rests upon us, God. Thank you for opening our hearts to see you, to trust you and believe. Thank you for your power of sanctification. God, thank you for keeping us, Lord God. You are so mighty. You're so good, God, that you allowed your same power that you created the earth to rest upon us, that you raised Christ from the dead, Father, that rests upon us, that same power. Thank you, Lord. God, our prayers, we want to become more in tune with it, more aware of it, that we may glorify your name even more, that we may come closer to you. This is our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.